So, let's go ahead and start off with prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for allowing us to come here. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here, learn about you, grow closer to you, praise you, grow closer to each other. I pray that you'll bless this time to each of us. You'll each teach us exactly what we need to learn, exactly what you want us to learn today so that we can be more like you and we can better share your love with everyone around us. We love you, Jesus, so much. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, exciting topic today. Persecution. Yay! Yeah, seriously. So, we're looking at Acts 6, starting in verse 7. Sam talked uh, about verse 7 last week, but we're going to talk about it again. Why not? Sets up what we're talking about. So, Acts 6, verse 7. I'm going to start reading. Then the word of the God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did many great signs among the people. So, we're going to begin here. This was an extremely exciting time for the church. Many talk as if it was the pinnacle, the high point of the church. Okay, On every level, they were doing amazing. On an evangelistic level, there were literally thousands of people joining the church at a time the church in Jerusalem. That's amazing. And what about on a social level? I mean, seriously, on a social level, these guys, there were literally no poor in their congregation because all the people were sharing of what they owned with those who were in need. So that the Bible literally says there were no poor among them. So on a social level, that's amazing. You know, and they're getting together, they're breaking bread, they're fellowshipping. On an administrative level, remember we were reading about how they were... uh, you know, dividing responsibilities. They were growing their leadership team. They were doing everything right. So, yeah, they're growing, they're doing, they're changing. Now, on top of all that, they were going out and they were praying for and healing the sick and those helping all those who were in need, who even weren't in the congregation. So from every single level, every way, every angle of looking at this, it was great. It was amazing. This church was doing amazing, great things. But, yeah, not everyone thought it was so great. And that's the, that's the weird thing. So now we're going to, now the author focuses in. He was just talking about the church in general, all these neat things happening in the church. Now he turns and he focuses on Stephen. And what's Stephen doing? Stephen's doing great signs and great wonders in the sight of everybody. Stephen's sharing the love of Jesus in that way, in a very open, uh, big way. So let's see what happens with this great man, Stephen. Verse 9. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We've heard him speak blasphemous things against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. By the way, I'm reading from the New King James in case anyone's surprised that it doesn't quite match with your text. But yeah, so like I said, this seems crazy at this point because you're like, they're doing all this good stuff. Everything is good. And yet now, Stephen, who's one of the guys at the forefront of this amazing movement, he's been arrested. He's been put before the council, the same council that condemned Jesus to death uh, in the recent past. So 
How can he be arrested for being good? Or why would he be arrested for being good? That's the question. From a purely rational standpoint, this doesn't make sense. From a rational standpoint, you're like, oh, they're doing good. Regardless of whether you don't believe in Jesus, like, they're just doing good things. This is great. But that was not the way that, the, uh, that these people saw it. But the fact is, on a spiritual and a prophetic viewpoint, this does make sense, what was happening to Stephen. And Jesus said this would happen to his followers. So now we're going to go ahead and move back to Matthew chapter 10. So if you guys could turn there. We're going to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be starting looking at verse 1. All right. So in verse 1, we read, And when he, that's Jesus, had called his twelve disciples to them, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles were these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So now we're looking at this. Jesus had been traveling all around Israel, doing great things, teaching people, healing people, and he gathered this large group of followers who went with him everywhere he went. Now in this passage, Jesus looks into that crowd and points out, you, 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 picks his 12 and says, you are going to be my special disciples. The the word he calls them, or the word we have listed here, is apostle. He gives them the title of apostle, a brand new ministry. And apostle means messenger. Jesus was choosing them to be his 12 special messengers out of this whole group. Now, this is the first time the word apostle is used in Matthew, and the first time the word apostle is used in the New Testament. And it's always significant when you first see a word used. So, this is the first time this office of messenger, the special messengers of Jesus is used. Now, what is Jesus going to go into right after that? Like, okay, I've made you messengers. Now, let me tell you. All right? So, let's uh, move ahead to verse 16, all right? Verse 16, Jesus says, Behold, I send you, he's talking to his apostles, his messengers, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, and as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So how fun do you think that was to hear? Jesus says, hey guys, looks into the crowd and points, picks out these 12 and brings them close. He's like, you, I'm appointing you as my special messengers. And they're like, yay, this is great. And then Jesus says, and by the way, you're going to be hunted down, arrested, scourged, beaten, dragged before courts, and condemned for my, for my name. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But it's, it, it's fascinating that that's the first thing Jesus goes into with his with his apostles, the first teaching he gives them. <laughs> they, they go hand in hand. You're my messengers, and you're going to be persecuted. So, yeah. That probably took a little bit of the wind out of their sails. But Jesus is prophesying here what would happen to his followers. 
in the midst of following him, of loving him, of sharing love with others and doing all the good things, uh, this is what they could expect to happen. And the fact is that's what we can expect to happen when we follow Jesus. This was true for the 11 apostles, obviously, the 11 apostles who remained with Jesus, because they all, except for the apostle John, died martyrs' deaths. They were all violently killed because they followed Jesus. Now, the fact is that we in the world are not judged by what we do. Us as Christians, we're judged by who we follow. Jesus said that you are either with me or you're against me. There's those who follow Jesus and those who don't follow Jesus. Those who don't follow Jesus are following Satan. Now, the devil, Satan, he does not care, okay, how much good you do as long as you're following him. You get that? The devil doesn't care how much good you do in this world as long as you're following him. But the devil and the people who follow him, they hate those of us who follow Jesus, regardless of how much good we do. It's all a question of who you follow. Jesus said there were two roads to travel. There's the wide, popular road that the majority of people will travel on in their life. And then there's the narrow road, the difficult road, the winding road. But the fact is, it's the wide road that leads to death. It's the wide road that leads leads away from Jesus. But it's on that narrow road, that difficult path that Jesus calls us to. That's the road that leads to Jesus, that leads to life, that leads to us fulfilling the purpose for which we were created and for us getting or living that life that, that we were created for, you know? All right. So let's continue reading in verse 19. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who uh, speaks in you. Now brother will deliver brother up to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's pretty intense. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the cities before the Son of Man comes. That last line, fleeing to cities, he was actually talking to them. He was about to send them out on a mission. He was saying to them, you know, don't spend all this time in all these cities because I'm going to be meeting up with you very soon. So he's not necessarily telling us here in this world that we're supposed to run city to city as we get persecuted. But he might call some of us to that, not me. So... Jesus is going to say in a few verses down that he did not... I thought that was a child for a minute. <laughs> like, oh no. Yeah, he's going to say in a few verses down that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. All right? The fact is that Jesus' words, both then and now, they bring division uh, among people. Like, uh, Jesus brought a message of freedom, but the fact is that many people prefer the chains of sin and the chains that they've, that they, of guilt and shame that they've carried along with themselves. The fact is that life and death, light and darkness, cannot coexist. There always is that point, <laughs> that conflict, all right? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. We read that in John. The devil and his minions, both demonic and human, 
they know they can't defeat the light itself. They can't stop the light. So their strategy is to get those of us who carry the light, those of us who spread the light, to stop us. Verse 24, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Okay. Jesus is telling his followers that they can expect people to do at least as much to them as they did to him. What did they do to Jesus? Yeah, They arrested him, they dragged him in, they beat him, they stripped him naked, hung him on a tree, and so he could die a slow, terribly excruciating, awful death. <laughs> Jesus is saying, just assume that's what's going to happen to you, and probably more, because a servant's not greater than his master. As they've done to me, Jesus said, so they'll do to you. They didn't know what was going to happen to Jesus, but we do. So we have a better idea. So regardless of what, where we live or what our lives look like, we need to keep this in mind. These were words not just to his 12 disciples. These were words to his messengers. and We are his messengers. We carry his message, his love, his gospel. Whatever happened to Jesus, we can expect. In this country, it's easy to think that, the, that, that it will not come to that. It's easy to think that we won't experience this in our lifetime. But um, if, you, if you look even under the surface a little bit in this country, you see that the foundations have been laid for the most amazing persecution you could ever, you could ever imagine. Um, yeah, and the fact is this kind of persecution happens around the world every single day. I mean, you can read the Voice of the Martyrs publications to read about that. My sister's going to India you know, where just recently they had these gangs of uh, people, they were Hindus, and they were going city to city, church to church, killing every single person, and beheading the pastors, putting their heads on stakes outside. I don't think we'll be seeing that, but, uh, I mean, you know, right now. But, you know, in the military, they have manuals passed around that they use for training nowadays. And the current manuals they're using... They actually have listed in their manuals Christians as uh, terrorists. Uh, Homeland Security memos, okay? One was released not long ago from Missouri talking about Christians, how Christians are terrorists. Homeland Security has drills all across our country uh, all the time. They're practicing with the military for what they call, you know, extreme situations or terrorist events or whatever. And do you know who the number one people they've been using as their pretend target, uh, you know, terrorists are? They're Christians. In fact, they uh, did a deal with, uh, it was a drill regarding a school, you know, as if a terrorist takes over a school bus full of children and they uh, blow it up. And in this thing, the bad guys were Christians, homeschoolers, actually. They were Christian homeschoolers who decided to take over a bus and, yeah, hurt all the children. Like, it's crazy. And the funny thing is they didn't actually tell the parents that that's what was happening. There was some big old hole in communication, and the parents actually heard and thought that Christians had actually taken their kids. And uh, it was a big mess. But either way, the foundation's being set, you know, psychologically and on paper, for that Christians are the bad guys. 
I don't know if you guys realize this, but there's actually a network of, of internment camps, concentration camps all across our country. This is real. I mean, and they're empty right now, just waiting. They have all the Homeland Security, uh, the laws are all in place for the filling of those at any one time, if it comes down to it, you know? They, they would literally, with, with the stroke of a pen, could start putting Christians or people into these. Like, that's crazy. But that, that's real. So we can't ever assume that this stuff is far away from us, that this stuff won't ever happen to us. Because Jesus said it would. A servant is not greater than his master. And the fact is that we know when Jesus comes, the, the time immediately preceding his, his second coming, his return, is going to be the greatest persecution the world has ever seen. And if we're here for that, yeah, we would experience that. So, with all this in mind, what are we supposed to do? Let's continue in verse 27. Jesus says, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus loves us more than we could ever comprehend, and he promises to take care of us no matter what happens. He never promises it'll be easy or nice, but he promises that he will be there with us. And what more could we ask for? You know, the creator of the universe is on our side, whatever comes. This is good news. So then with that peace in our heart, that Jesus is with us and he's on our side, it is our job to go out and spread his message, to spread the love of Jesus, to spread the gospel, to tell people that Jesus is the way, that Jesus loves them more than they could ever imagine, that Jesus created them, that Jesus has given all of us purpose in this life, that this world has a purpose, that everything has a purpose. That's our job, to share the love of Jesus. And even more, from, more than that, Jesus says we are to preach it from the housetops. So it's, it's even more than just casually in conversation with our friends and co-workers. Jesus says, I want you on the rooftops screaming this stuff out, telling people about me, about what I've done for them. He basically says, hey guys, to his messengers, yeah, persecution is coming, Excuse me. He says, persecution is coming for because you believe in me. So, since it's coming for your faith anyway, I want you to go ahead and give them good reason to uh, persecute you for it. You know? I mean, seriously, if we're going to be persecuted for our faith, let's live it. Let's let it be central to who we are all the time, every day. So, verse 32, Jesus uh, continues, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men... I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Obviously not talking about physical sword. (laughs) For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me read that again. 
who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So the symbol here Jesus uses is the symbol of a cross. Take up your cross and follow me. The cross was a symbol of death. When he's saying, take up your cross and follow me, they would understand, no. Jesus was saying, let your old life die. Let your old life, apart from me, be gone and dead. And come be alive to me. Basically, when we cling, cling to the fleeting things of this world, we're clinging to that old life, which died with Jesus on the cross. But when we let go of that life, when we let go of those things that distract us and can devote ourselves completely to Jesus, yeah, it is then that we find the life that we were created to live. Stephen understood this very clearly. He had his priorities right. Now let's go back to Acts. We're going to look at verse 13, all right? So, Acts chapter 6, verse 13. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man, does not, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. So Stephen followed Jesus and did nothing wrong, yet they arrested him, they lied about him, and they were planning to put him to death. But in that moment, what did they see in Stephen's face? Did they see fear? Did they see anger? No, they saw the, voice of an, they saw the face of an angel. The meaning for the Greek word angel is actually messenger. It's not the same word as apostle, but it does have the same meaning, a messenger. They looked at him and they saw, wow, he's a messenger of God. Remember when Jesus commissioned his first 12 apostles? They were messengers. And Jesus' prophecy had come full circle now. He said, you are my messengers, so you're going to be persecuted. And here we see Stephen, who's being persecuted, and the world looked at him and they saw, wow, this guy's a messenger of God. They could literally see it in his face. Stephen had so completely given his life to Jesus, had so completely devoted him to God, that when he was squeezed, when the persecution came, who he was came bubbling out. Jesus came bubbling out for all to see. Now I'm going to quickly tell a story. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I was in uh, school. It was in a public school at that point, at a middle school. And uh, one day we were in class. And all of a sudden, we started hearing these crazy things. These rumors started shooting through the school, going all across the students. And they were saying, hey, uh, this guy with a gun has come in and, and is like shooting people. Students are being shot. And, and we, we didn't know what was happening. We were like, wait, is this something happening somewhere else? Is this something happening in our school? Like, we're just these rumors about somebody shooting and killing people. So we were all scared, and we were trying to figure out what was going on. We found out afterwards that it was Columbine. That's what had uh, happened at another middle school on, in Colorado, rather than uh, Missouri, where I was. And uh, that, that's, that really hit all of us really hard, because we were at that exact same age as the ones uh, who so many people had been killed. All right? 
And uh, when I think about it, I always get like emotional. It's crazy. But um, it was a year or two after that that Michael W. Smith came out with a song. I don't know if you guys remember. It was called This Is Your Time. And in that song, he talked about uh, a certain girl who was at Columbine. Her name was Cassie Bernal. And um, what uh, had happened was these, these guys, these boys, they'd been on these uh, mind-altering drugs for a long time, and it was just, it was just a mess. And uh, in their confused state, they had invaded their school and were killing people, shooting people at Columbine in Colorado. And uh, they had actually gone through, and as the story goes, they'd gone into this uh, classroom, and they'd asked this one uh, person, do you believe in God, with a gun to their head? And they said, yeah, and they shot him. Then they turned to this girl, Cassie, put the gun up to her head, and asked her, so, do you believe in God? She knew what they were asking, and she knew what what was taking place then. She knew if she said yes, she would be killed. Who knows necessarily what happened if she had said no, but regardless, she had to make that choice. Am I going to say yes, or am I going to say no? She knew what would happen if she said yes. And in that moment, she said, yes, I do believe in God, knowing full well what was going to happen, and he shot her, and she died. But Michael W. Smith wrote this song a year or two after that about this girl, Cassie Bernal. And he went through and he sang, you know, this was her time. And this was her dance. She lived every moment, left nothing to chance. And when the question came, she said, yes, I do believe. This was her time. When her time came, she stood up and said, yes, I do believe in Jesus. I do believe in God. I do follow him. But then the cool thing is, at the end of the song, he switches. He's no longer singing, this, is, this was her time. He comes into the present tense and starts singing, this is your time. This is your chance. When the question comes, oh, what will you say? The, the amazing thing is, we don't need to wait till someone has a gun to our head to decide who we're going to follow. You know? Our time is not then. Our time is not at that point. Will someone someday have a gun to our head? Maybe. You know? Jesus says we can expect persecution to come. But our time is not then. Our time is now. Now's the time where we say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I've given myself completely to him. Yes, my entire life, everything I am, is devoted completely to Jesus. Now is our time. I've given my life completely to Jesus, and I'm ready for whatever comes, you know? So let's all recommit today to giving our lives completely, wholeheartedly to Jesus, letting, letting all, the, all the, the fleeting things of the world just die and fall away, be gone, just like the cross that Jesus died on. Let it die and be gone. And let our focus, our single focus in this world, be Jesus. So when that time comes, when persecution does come, when we're squeezed like Stephen, people see written all over our faces, wow, these are messengers from God. These people love and follow Jesus. So let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we love you and praise you. Thank you so much. Please really, really speak to us this week. Speak to us about what it really means to be wholeheartedly, completely devoted to you. Please work in each of us so that we can be completely yours. Not half-heartedly, not three-quarter-heartedly or 90%edly. We want to be completely yours, me and everyone else here, Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you. Please take us make us like you. In your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Thank you so much, Jesus. Amen.